Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Are you ready to get this started? My name is Tyler Chef. You are at the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It is time to learn how to overcome objections in negotiations when I come back. All right, folks, I hope you've had a great week. I hope you had some value in last week's episode. And before we get kicked off here, I want to remind you, whatever podcast player you're on, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. That'll notify you when new episodes come out. Let me know. It lets me know that people are listening. And uh, although I know you guys are listening, but I always want to know when new people come aboard, new content and that type of thing. If you haven't already been to our website, make sure you go to cashflowguys.com, cashflowguys.com. And uh, get over there and register. Get on my mailing list. I put out all kinds of free educational information to teach you how to take your real estate investing to the next level. Again, that can be found at cashflowguys.com. Doing some different things on YouTube, a primary YouTube channel. You go over to YouTube, just type the words cash flow and guys, cash flow guys, and you will get to our YouTube channel. Make sure you smash that subscribe button over there on YouTube. Trying to build up the audience over there as well and add more value to you folks. So this week, let's talk about overcoming objection. Now, you got to understand objections, differences, opinion, whatever you want to call it. You can expect those, of course, in any any situation. I don't care what you're doing. You're going to run into some sort of conflict. It doesn't have to be cranky, yelling, screaming, conflict, that type of thing. But you know, not everybody's going to agree with your thoughts on things. They may not agree with what you're willing to pay for a property. They may not be willing to agree with your assessment of the condition of a property. There's lots of different things that a seller, or if you're the seller, a buyer would agree with or disagree with. I mean, there's, you're going to have differences of opinion. But this, this week, I want to talk about how to overcome some of those objections, how to get past some of those differences of opinion. Because let's, let's be honest, the task of buying and selling real estate, it's going to give you lots of opportunities to practice overcoming objections. And if you're not good, and I've said this in the past, but if you're not good at overcoming objections, in other words, if, you, if this is not a skill that you find yourself good at, then you need to put somebody on your team that is good at it, whether that be hiring a real estate, uh, a realtor somebody that uh, can work as a buyer's agent or, or a listing agent for you that can that has these skills. And keep in mind, just because they have a real estate license does not mean they have these skills. Uh, having a real estate license basically just says that the state feels that you are, uh, it's legal for you to, to co- collect a commission for real estate-related services. does not mean that you know how to negotiate or anything like that. That's not a, a dig on realtors. That's just reality. You know, a lot of realtors, simply they've never been taught real estate school doesn't teach negotiation it doesn't teach overcoming objection it doesn't teach any of that life does books do this podcast does uh, sales books grant cardone the sandler system uh, orrin claff things like that they all teach ways to overcome objection i'm going to hit on a couple of those this week to help you that said what you'll find is that the agents that you see in your your community you'll be able to tell which ones are good at overcoming objections, right? There's lots of people that say they can do it. And then there's those that actually can. And it's one of those things where I say, you know, with the same thing I say to a seller, Hey, prove it. There's obviously a nicer way to say that, but tell me, you can, you tell me you're a hotshot negotiator. Well, show me the money, show me what you got, right? Good news is, um, you can learn how to overcome any objection, really almost any objection. There's some objections that you probably just either, maybe you don't want to overcome them because they're just too unreasonable and that's okay. And you have to understand for your own good, what's the difference between reasonable and unreasonable? What makes sense for you and what makes sense for your buying criteria? Don't let uh, realtors and, and wholesalers especially and sellers, uh, don't let them steamroll you into properties. Don't let them make you feel like you're lucky to be have the ability to buy property. And that's a lot of what's going on in today's market is 
buyers have this mindset of, I'm just so happy they accepted my offer, or I'm just so happy they let me buy this, or they let me make payments. They, they gave me seller financing. So, but that doesn't justify you overpaying by a ridiculous amount of money. That makes no sense whatsoever. There's no seller in history is ever going to do you any favors, first of all. So just get that out of your mind. Sellers are not going to do you any favors, so please stop believing that they will. Uh, understand that they are, and like any human, any reasonable human being would be, is they are first out for themselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's not being selfish. That's just realistic. If you're gonna, when you get on an airplane, and they give you the speech about if the if you're traveling with a small child and the oxygen mask drops, please put it on your own face first, and then your child. And people go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're gonna first this and now straws in California. No. Seriously, you've got to take care of yourself first so that you are in a position to take care of other people, right? So don't get all caught up in that. But understand that I want to do a little bit of mindset mindset shift to start out right away. First of all, there is no such thing as a seller's market, and I want you to put that out of your head. There's no such thing as a seller's market. Stop saying that it's a seller's market. Right now, across the country, we are seeing a cooling, I will say. Things are slowing down in many markets, not all markets, some markets, uh, there are, the properties are still going up and going up and going up and people are still acting crazy and whatnot. But in a lot of markets, Tampa Bay market being one of them, things are starting to cool off a little bit. Uh, they're starting to level out. So with that said, we don't, nobody can really predict the future, right? Nobody knows what that means. Nobody knows what tomorrow's going to bring because it's tomorrow. We haven't got there yet, right? We're not fortune tellers. We don't know. Now, we can think, we can prophecy all we want. Uh, I believe that there's going to be a pretty rapid correction coming up soon. That's just my opinion. Does that mean I need to stop buying? Absolutely not. Because here's the thing. I only buy when the numbers make sense. What the quote unquote market does means nothing to me. I could care less what the market does. Why? Well, that's because I buy for cash flow. Okay. So you have to understand that. You have to understand why you're buying. If you're one of those knuckleheads that's out there buying for appreciation and you're buying on the on the edge of a cliff, well, then you kind of, you, you get what you pay for. You, you're going to have some problems and that's going to be your problem. I don't know what to tell you about that, but don't speculate right now. Don't ever speculate, frankly. I mean, I guess to some degree you got to speculate. You wouldn't be in real estate in the first place, but don't over-speculate. Don't go crazy thinking that, oh, this will never end. We've been there before, folks. It will end, and it's about to. When about to actually happens, who knows? It could be a month. It could be five years. The bottom line is we all know that the housing market, as always, any investment market, any investment vehicle looks like an EKG. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. That's just the reality. So learn to understand those trends and don't buy emotionally. That said, don't let a seller suck you into thinking that this is the only game in town and how lucky you are to have the opportunity to buy their property. Don't fall for it, okay? Understand that a property is worth what a buyer will pay. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that you need to go out there and be snotty to sellers. You still have to let them think that they are in charge. But understand the seller is not in charge. Because at the end of the day, there's only one person that's writing a check in this transaction. That's you. Maybe your investor's writing a check, but realistically, you're the one that is the catalyst of making this transaction happen. You're like, well, but wait, Tyler, somebody else could buy it out from underneath me. Well, great. That's good news. You know why? Because if, if you can't get the deal to fit your criteria, then you have no business buying it in the first place. Don't buy the property just because the seller allowed you to buy it. Don't agree to a price just because it'll be over with. That's not how good business is done. That's how you wind up upside down. That's how you wind up being one of those people where I see the pictures in the multiple listing service of the bucket of drywall mud, the five-gallon bucket of paint, 
and the, the, the school of hard knocks where I see the, the flip gone wrong sitting there half repaired, you know, and, and you're that person that tore every inch of drywall off the property and you had these grand plans of turning a, a 900 square foot house into a McMansion. Don't be that, that guy or girl. Just don't do that. Okay. You have to understand that you can only buy based on what your criteria allows you to buy. And that's the whole idea of putting criteria out, folks. And you have to be articulate at explaining this to the sellers. Here's an example. Mr. Seller says, hey, I, I need $200,000 for my property. Oh, that's outstanding. That's great. Hey, Mr. Seller, how, did you have an appraisal done or, or how did you come up? Why is that price important to you? I'm just curious. Notice how I didn't say 200000 Have you lost your mind? Because remember, folks, the seller's never wrong. We don't want the seller to feel that they're wrong. If they feel they're wrong, they're going to come out defensive or they're going to just basically not like you. And if they don't like you, guess what? They're probably not going to want to do business with you. So trying to flex our muscle with a seller in most cases is going to blow up in your face. So just don't do it. Agree with them. This is a very, very effective uh, marketing technique or I'm sorry, negotiating technique is to say, oh, that's, that's great. I, that's awesome. Uh, or something like that. I understand. But don't give your opinion on the, on the value. Your opinion doesn't matter to the seller. Because unless you tell the seller something like, wow, I think it's worth 300000 when he's asking 200000 nothing you say is going to help the seller make a decision, I hate to tell you. You could say, well, I think it's worth $10,000. What you're going to do is upset the seller. Okay? And when you have an upset seller, do you have an agreeable seller? No, you've got a seller that's mad at you. They're not going to do anything. They're going to walk away or kick you out of the property. Do you, does that mean you have to pay what they want for it or, or, or retail or something like that? No, absolutely not. But you got to learn how to control the conversation to a way to everything becomes the seller's idea. Now, there's a way to question things without making it sound like you're being judgmental. Notice how I said, that's great. I'm curious, did you have an appraisal done or how did you determine the value? Some people, it works to say, no, granted, what I say doesn't necessarily work for everybody. It's all in how you frame it. You may want to say something along the lines of, to add to that, say, you know, I'm not real experienced in buying properties. I'm not quite sure how to value them. I was maybe helping, maybe hoping you could kind of take a minute and help me understand how this process works. Now, you have put the seller in charge. You put the seller in the position of authority. Let's be honest. You're still running the shots because the checkbook's still in your purse or your back pocket, right? But you're putting them in that position to teach you, to add value to you. And they'll go, oh, well, let me tell you, I went on Zillow and I took another 30% because that's what I need to buy my new Corvette and pay my wife's medical bills. And then the, my, my Swami told me that I should add another 10 grand. And in talking to the cat over breakfast, the cat was saying that I should probably get another five grand so I can get a small bedroom built on the back for the cat because we all know they like being alone. So I added all these things together and that's how I come up with my 300,000. Obviously, I'm a little far-fetched in, in that diatribe, but the reality of it is it doesn't really matter to you how the seller got there. What matters is you, your ability to get them to articulate it. Because here's the thing, what people think and what people say usually are two different things. People think one thing in their head and say another thing out loud. So when you ask them how they got somewhere to a price and they don't really know how they did or they're guessing, asking them the question and them having to answer you will make them question themselves. That's the reverse psychology here. Maybe that's not reverse psychology, but that's the psychology of how it works is asking them, Hey, how did we get to that value? I'm curious. I'm new. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Number one, people generally, and I believe this, people generally like to help other people or like the feeling of knowing they've helped other people. 
right or wrong. Um, this, I believe this is the way things are. Call me a, call me overly positive, but that's just how I think. I think that most people would want to help another person if they had a chance. You know, a little lady crossing the street, are you going to run her down or are you going to make sure that you help her across the street and carry your groceries or whatever, that type of analogy. That said, when the seller thinks that they're doing, they're helping you out, it puts them in a position of authority, makes them feel good about the transaction. When they feel good about the transaction, they are generally more agreeable. So when they give you this, this uh, far-fetched thing, just shake your head and agree. You don't tell them, what, you lost your mind? Are you crazy? Are you high? What's going on? I mean, what, what could you possibly, how could you possibly come up with that value? See, none of that works. None of that works whatsoever. But you have to let them think that, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, great. The seller needs to be able to, and this is the thing you got to remember, the seller needs to be able to show you the value. And this is where I play completely stupid. When I go sit down with a seller, the only, only time I don't do this when when they say, I have no idea what it's worth. But when they are convinced that Zillow or whoever has come up with this price algorithm, some buy owner website, and they happen to be happy with that price, I don't disagree, but I, I make, I, I make them, I say, you said, that's really not the word I want to use, but I require them to help me get on board with the value. And then I bring up things like, tell me about you know, what happens when there's an appraisal and how does that work? And what if the appraiser says something different and the bank won't loan me any money? And how do we deal with these things? You see, you throw these things in the seller's lap. And when you throw these things in the seller's lap, they start to see how far off they are from reality. And they start to see the unlikelihood of this property ever getting through appraisal, therefore them ever being able to get it sold. And the last thing a seller wants is to have their property tied up under contract while you're busy trying to figure out how to get an appraisal on this thing. And the appraiser comes back and said, it's worth half of what you're under contract for. Well, unless you're, you're willing to bring half the, you know, the rest of the money to the closing table to make up the difference of where the, the uh, appraisals lack, I don't know what to tell you. So we got to work through that process, right? So make them kind of show you the value and, and it's okay to not accept the first thing they say. In other words, when they say, well, because of this, this, and this, I still don't understand. At no time do you need to prove to them how smart you are. Okay. And I'm going to tell you a story about that in a second, but at no time do you ever need to prove to a seller how smart you are. In other words, I would go so far as to say, show them how uneducated you are on buying a property if need be. Now, this doesn't really apply to larger, larger multifamily because in larger multifamily, the sellers, for whatever reason, want to make sure that you're qualified to buy it. They want to make sure they're much more in tune to are you, do, what experience do you have. Now, keep in mind, none of this works, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to stop right there for one second. None of this works if you're not direct to the seller, which is why I tell all my students, those folks that are in the mastermind, we're getting ready to kick off the mastermind again. We're like two weeks away, guys. Mailboxmoneymastermind.com. This is your last shot. I'm not doing it again. So if you don't pull the trigger this time, you're out of luck. And we just made some uh, changes in the pricing schedule and some different opportunities for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. I digress. You've got to be direct to the seller. You absolutely have to be direct to the seller. I understand that every property you look at is listed by an agent. Stop looking at those properties. Or you better be find an agent that's really, really good at talking to other agents and therefore getting you into the sit down with the seller because you have a right to sit down at the table with the seller. Understand that. That is your right. Now, the seller can refuse that request. That's fine. That just means you don't get to buy their property. And frankly, I've said it that way. I understand the seller doesn't want to talk to anybody but you, Jane Jane Murphy. That's just a main name I made up, by the way. Uh, however, the only way that my offer is going to be submitted is if it's done by me. In your presence, you're welcome to be there, but I'm going to be doing it in my presence. If I wanted to have my attorney there, would that be okay? Is the realtor going to refuse my attorney? Absolutely not. Will the seller? Yeah, the seller has the right to do it. So let's make sure that we're always seller direct. 
I'm not going to beat that dead horse anymore. Understand that this, when the seller, when I say the seller needs to show value, they, they kind of need to justify their price. But I don't want you to lay it out there as if they're, have, they're justifying it because that puts them on the defensive. And we don't want them to be on the defensive. When, they, when they're defensive, they're going to crawl into a hole and you're not going to get anywhere. It's like climbing up a wall. Understand that haggling is absolutely a colossal waste of your time. I know I think it's cool and sexy and you may sound smart in front of your friends. But at the end of the day, it, it's a waste of time. If the seller's not motivated, they're not mo- motivated. Your job is to get in there, determine motivation, determine the seller's pain, and write offers that solve the seller's problem, period. That's your job. If you can't do that, then you are doing the seller and yourself a disservice. So understand that first. Now, one of my students, I was just having this conversation with him in our, our private group. He's, he was uh, part of the mastermind, the last mastermind. He had a question about a seller basically agreeing to an offer. You know, they made a ver- he made a verbal offer, which I taught him better than that, but he didn't listen. You know, it happens. What can I tell you? But he made a verbal offer to a seller. He was not clear on the seller's pain. First of all, I want to tell you that he was not clear on the seller's pain. So he broke that rule because I teach my students always be clear on the seller's pain, be a hundred percent clear in the seller's pain before you write an offer. Because here's what I learned a while back. And I don't remember who actually quoted this, but it wasn't original for me anyway, but a prescription without a diagnosis is malpractice. We'll say that again, a prescription without a diagnosis is malpractice. I think I learned that from Jay Massey, Cashflow Diary. A prescription without a diagnosis is malpractice. Tell me I'm wrong. If somebody's out there just wildly throwing offers around based on only on price, well, you, you're not solving any problems. You're, gonna, you're not going to get anywhere with the seller and they're going to object. Now you've created a situation where you have to overcome objection. And folks, the whole idea, the biggest benefit of, of learning how to overcome objection is to first learn how to avoid objections. Don't put yourself in situations, that's rule number one, don't put yourself in situations where an objection is guaranteed unless you intentionally mean to do that. Otherwise, the best way to to overcome an objection is to first avoid it altogether. Then you don't have to overcome anything. So that said, don't get caught up in haggling. Anyway, long story short, the seller, he had a verbal, he had a verbal offer in place from a seller where he did not know the seller's pain, okay? He was not clear on the seller's pain. And then within 24 hours, the seller decided to continue to market the property. Now, the student did not have a written contract. He just had a verbal. And I know, guys, that a verbal's binding and blah, blah, blah. The end of the day, show me one that gets to the closing table and gets across the judge's desk and actually gets approved. Maybe there's one or two examples. But at the end of the day, life is short. It's not worth the drama. So just get it in writing or it doesn't matter. Okay, I lost a, a pretty healthy deal last year from some quote-unquote partners that basically stole a property from me because although I had all the paperwork drawn up, I didn't follow up to make sure that they signed it. So what I basically did is negotiated an amazing deal for somebody else that stole the deal from me. Could I litigate and sue? Absolutely. Was it worth it? No, because I don't want to be partners with these people. They're thieves. I don't want to be partners with a thief. So I just let them have the property because at the end of the day, I, I wish them well and karma will come back and bite them in the ass. And it did. Make sure that the offer gets signed. Okay. It's in writing and that it's clear and everybody understands it. And here's the thing. When you write offers that solve the seller's pain, nine times out of 10, the seller's not going to back out. But here's the thing. There are some knuckleheads out there that teach that you should get a record a memorandum of contract after the fact. 
Here's my response to that. If you have to record a memorandum of contract, you are doing yourself and the seller and every other investor on the planet a disservice. Do not strong arm people into selling their property. It's not necessary and it's never going to work out in your favor. Even if you do successfully close, you're going to make an enemy. And your reputation, your word is everything in this business and in any other business. So don't feel that you need to strong arm somebody or record memorandums. I think recording memorandums should be illegal across the country, frankly, in my case. I, I, just, I just believe it should be illegal. I don't think you should f- be able to be forced to force anybody to sell anything. People change their mind for various reasons. So when you get to the seller's pain points, focus on those pain points. Okay, well, in this case, the seller was looking at other properties, and the reason for him selling, at least why he reported he was selling, is that he needed the money from the current properties to go buy additional properties in another state. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but rule number one is that's not a motivated seller, in my opinion. I don't think the seller has enough pain to make it worthwhile. So in that case, even if he hadn't gotten a written offer, the seller probably still could have flaked out and wound up backing out of the contract. At the end of the day, I think you're going to have a hard time getting a judge to, to force a seller out of their property. I just don't think that's reasonable. And I'm sure it's probably happened, and that's all fine and dandy. I just don't see that it's feasible. I don't think it's a good business plan, a good strategy. So what he could have done is, is instead talk to the seller and determine his, his pain. And the only pain the guy has is that he wants to buy more property. That's not pain, guys. That's, that's called he, he just wants to buy more property. That means that I would probably just pass on at that point. I would have a conversation about where, where we are price-wise. I would not try to strong-arm the seller. Instead, I would just have a conversation with them, determine if they were motivated enough because there's a level of motivation. I want them to be extremely motivated to sell to me because extremely motivated sellers show up at the closing table. I don't have to put them in a headlock and drag them there kicking and screaming. That said, don't, have to, don't feel you have to be in a position to force people to go someplace. Instead, just focus on writing offers that solve their problems. How do you solve their problems? Well, you ask questions. You determine their pain. I've recorded like 30 episodes on that. How to determine a seller's motivation, how to determine their pain. When they say things like, Keywords like, oh, I'm looking to buy other property. That's not a pain point. That guy or girl is looking for top dollar. Why are they looking for top dollar? Because they need all the dollars to go buy the next property. So think about that. That means, well, number one, you're never going to get terms with that guy because he needs every dollar. And if you start, and if you have to beat them up too bad on price, if you have to strong arm them on price, they're going to back out anyway, folks. So lastly, I want to kind of change gears for a second. When you do get to an agreement and you get into due diligence and you start finding things out about the property as you're learning about the seller's pain, you may at some point realize that some of what the seller told you was not completely accurate. And this comes down to, and we've t- I beat this horse to death, but I just want to gloss over it real quick. Things like projected rents. Make them prove it. Make them show up rent rolls. Get a stop of letters from the tenants. Stop of letters basically says that, hey, I'm Johnny, John and Susie, and we rent apartment D, and we pay $650 a month, and we've got a $300 deposit. Get in a stop a letter from the tenant. Just prove, and these are things you want to get after you're under contract and you're headed to the closing table. Get bank statements and things like this. Just make them prove. But when you find discrepancies, don't beat them up about it. Because I'll tell you that 99.9% of the sellers out there lie about the numbers. Everything's projected, not accurate. So just expect it. Don't make a huge deal about it when they're when they when you catch them. Because I know you're going to catch them. But you can absolutely blow a great negotiation or a great rapport building experience out of the water by trying to stick it in their face. All you got to do is say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I, we, we got the rent rolls and see there's some discrepancies. Based on those discrepancies, I obviously can't pay you the same amount of money because I made the offer in good faith based on the information you gave me. And I see that there are some changes. So we just need to make some minor adjustments to the purchase price or the terms to allow for the verified information. 
It's that simple or a very version of that. You don't have to make a major deal about it. Now, will they make a major deal about it? Probably. But this is where I, you're going to have to go through the steps. Now, in the mastermind, we rehearse this. We're going to go deep into these type of things. So the students will be masters at overcoming these objections. They're going to learn how to use what the seller's saying and listen for understanding, not to listen to respond. I'm going to teach them individually how to listen to understand so that they can better overcome these objections. That's a big part of it. Expenses. Now, just allow 15% for management and explain to the seller that, you know, it's going to cost 10%, whatever, but the phone's going to ring and the managers always want more money. And no, I'm not going to self-manage because that's not the highest and best use of my time. That's not what I do. For this property to qualify to meet my criteria, I'm going to have management. And you have that right. They're going to tell you, all kind of, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, I understand your feelings, Mr. Seller, and I understand that you've self-managed it for all these years. You're not going to say things like, and that's why it looks like a trailer, a nasty trailer park. You're going to say, well, I understand that. And I'm, I'm sure you've done an amazing job as a manager. However, that's not something that I'm good at. Therefore, for me to be successful with this transaction, I'm going to need to hire a professional manager. Speaking of which, would you like to stay on as my manager, Mr. Seller? Would you be willing to do it for free or for less money? Because that'd be a huge help to me. I'd really appreciate that. What do you mean you won't do it for free? But you do it for free now. Oh, you, you don't do it for free now? Oh, you do do it for free, but you don't like doing it for free. Oh, okay. And you want me to do it for free. I understand. You see how this goes? All we're basically doing is repeating what the seller's telling us. And when they have to verbalize it, it, it then when out of their own mouth, it becomes far-fetched, right? Bottom line, folks, is self-management is not possible for free ever. It's just not. It's not possible. Water and electric, guys, it's real, that's a real cost. Here's why, because tenants move out, and when tenants move out, they're not going to pay your water bill, they're not going to pay your electric bill, and they don't live there anymore. So you're going to have to allow for probably a month or two, depending on whatever your vacancy is, of a water and electric bill. If you don't do that, you're going to pay it either way, so you might as well allow it now and then negotiate it that way, right? When you, when you are very, very conservative in your underwriting, when you're looking at the, at the profit and loss and figuring out whether things can be profitable or not, and you're sitting down with a seller going over these figures, this is what I do, this is, and by doing so, you're going to get all kinds of objection. But number one, this is great practice on learning how to overcome the objection. Number two, it's going to help the seller see how much money you're going to have going out the door. And it's going to help justify reducing the price. What will happen if you get good at this and you practice, those in the mastermind will get really good at this. They will get really, really good at understanding how to effectively give this information to the seller so that the seller comes up with their own mind that if I don't drop the price, this guy's going to fail. This thing's going to go into foreclosure. It's a great tool. Last thing before I wrap up here, folks, don't value add guess. Okay. Don't guess on value add. Here's an example. And I can't tell you, this has happened probably 50 times to me, maybe even a hundred. I find these small, medium-sized multifamilies. Let's say they're two, three, four, up to 20, 30 units. And there always seems to be a vacant lot next door, kind of like they were building, 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 and then they ran out of money. And they meant to put a building there, but they just ran out of money or energy or whatever they did. But they didn't build a building on this nice lot. And there's nothing on it but grass or dirt. And the sellers will say, and this I, just one example, this is a duplex, right? This duplex is $250,000 for a duplex that's renting at 600 a month. And I'm going each side. So it's bringing in 1200 and I'm going, whoa, there's no way I could do that. So I'm doing my quick math, right? I'm thinking, what's that work out to? It's, they want 250000 goodness gracious. So for me, my quick test is I'm going to take the rents, that's 1200 and I'm going to divide that by 1.5%, which means I can't pay more than eighty grand for their $250,000 duplex to make it make sense for me. That's my criteria. That's how I buy. 
that said, um, he's, I said, well, that's, that's awesome. I said, is that lot included? And the guy says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That lot by itself is worth 200 grand. He goes, that, that's prime land. It's a corner lot zoned, uh, multifamily with a commercial designation. And he goes on and on and on all he didn't even really get into the features and benefits of the duplex. He was just yammering on about this lot. And he goes, that thing is just worth 200 and 200,000 all by itself. I'm like, that's amazing. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, good. I'm going to go ahead and buy, I want to buy the duplex. Let's go ahead and write it up. So I wrote up the offer. I wrote the contract to 50,000. said, I'm gonna give you full price. I wrote the contract up at 50,000, spun it around and said, here you go. He's looks at me, he goes, 50,000. He goes, what are you crazy? I said, what? I'm giving you full price. What, what do you mean? What am I crazy? What did I do? I don't understand. He says, I'm asking 250000 I understand, but you said that the land was worth 200000 next to the duplex, but I only want the duplex. So I'm gonna, I'll give you the, the 50000 that you want for the duplex, and you can sell the land for the two hundred you want. And I just sat there looking at him with a straight face. Yes, this takes practice. People in the mastermind, I send them out and do a live practice where they learn to hone these skills. And they do it every week. So they get really good at it. But that's how you win. And that's why my students win. Anyway, the guy looks at me like I've, lost, like I've lost my mind. He's probably right. Maybe I have. I just sat there. And the first person that speaks, and this is a fact, first person that speaks loses. I didn't say a word. He looks at me and goes, well, I can't sell it for 50000 And then I pulled out my old Larry, Har- Larry Harbolt trick book and said, I understand that, Mr. Seller. But don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. He says, well, I might could do 65 or 70. I said, okay, I can meet you at 65. Boom, under contract at 65. Not a bad little deal, was it? Seller, story goes, seller then realized what, what he'd done after the fact and actually offered to sell me that lot for $200,000, which I politely explained that I don't buy land, vacant land uh, to build because of the cost of construction is too high. I will buy vacant land to resell it, but that's about it. So the story goes, folks, if you are if you are focused on listening to understand, you will be able to very easily overcome just about any objection that comes your way. But you first have to master the art of listening to understand. Okay, Listening to understand, not listening to respond. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you got some value out of this episode. I hope that you put this to work. If you're interested in, in considering the Mailbox Money Mastermind, go to mailboxmoneymastermind.com. Again, I hope you found some value in this. Catch up with me on Facebook. If there's more things that you want to hear along this line, you want to get on a strategy call, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash book Tyler, cashflowguys.com forward slash book Tyler. Pick a 15-minute time slot. Be happy to see if I can help get you unstuck. Absolutely free of charge, no no obligation. Have a great week, and we will catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.